0: Thanks to Warby Parker for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Get boutique quality, stylish eyewear and sunglasses at revolutionary prices. Try them yourself by going to warbyparker.com/fool to order your free home try-on kit with free shipping all around. It's Thursday, April 20th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Brian Hinman, and Bill Barker. Happy April 20th, or as the kids say, 420 that they do that they do we're going is to be ta-
1: something your kids are saying around the house
2: not
0: a lot? my kids i'm not your kids
1: other kids the, the lesser kids the, you're
0: saying the kids just the kids, the kids. Uh, it is april 20th we are going to be talking about 420 aka marijuana because it is in the news uh, from a business standpoint but we got a lot of other news to get to first we've got housing news we've got CSX the big railroad operator and we've got CBS health once again making headlines for what they are cutting back on in their stores. Let's start with housing and this is I'm we got a whole basket of stuff here Brian. Um DR Horton, the home builder, first quarter profits a little bit higher than expected. Sherwin Williams, strong quarter and the stock is hitting a new high. And Select Comfort. Holy cow, Select Comfort. I don't know what they did other than sell a whole lot of beds because that stock is up more than 20%. So we're we're building houses, we're painting them, and we're buying
2: beds. Yeah, Chris, the, the, the broad-based strong performance of these companies really highlights that the, the fundamentals for the housing market are really strong right now. I mean, the number of single-family homes for sale is super low. There's pent-up demand for new household formations because uh, millennials are uh, living at home with their parents still, and they want to move out. Uh, the largest age demographic in the U.S is 26-year-olds. I don't know if you know that. So, people who are on the cusp of buying houses with that low inventory. Uh, and home ownership rates are really low, um, based on, and across every age group, 65 and under, um, versus historical averages. And you still have interest rates, even though they're rising, you still have them very low. And so, all of these dynamics are sort of a perfect storm for companies that play into uh, housing, whether it be new housing or improving your housing. So, D.R. Horton is a home builder, and they saw through the first six months of their fiscal year, uh, home sales up 16%, and home values, so that's how many homes are selling and then the average price, up even more, 18%. So, really strong performance for DR Horton. They're the largest home builder in the U.S. Sherwin-Williams sells paint. Uh, paint their sales in their paint stores group were up 7.5%. Uh, So lots of remodel activity going on. I mean, really strong performance in all these companies.
0: Is Sherwin Williams one of those businesses that just they're gonna? I don't want to say they're recession proof, but it seems like paint's just one of those things. Whether you're buying a new home or you're remodeling, like you're you're gonna need paint. That seems like as as safe a bet. Not necessarily Sherwin Williams, but just paint as a business seems like as safe a bet in housing as you could make.
2: Truth. Uh, and Sherwin Williams in particular is best of breed. I mean, just think about how uh, how paint how paint sales work. If you are going to sell your house, you are told that you need to make it neutral, so you have to paint a neutral color. When you buy a house, you walk in and you say, "Why would I want beige walls? I, I hate this I want, neutral color. I want intelligent gray, or I want you know." Uh, Earth sparkle green or something ridiculous like that. So you repaint. So every time there's a transaction there, it's paint on both sides. So it's a beautiful business.
0: Bill, what stands out to you when you look at sort of the, the numbers that have been laid out from whether it's DR Horton, Sherwin Williams, Select Comfort? Anything strike you?
1: It's all a great package. And, um, you know, the, the economy is doing quite well it's not on fire uh, this is a good situation for housing and uh, for for people who are in the market the mortgage rates uh, are low they've come back down a little bit after moving up uh, somewhat in response to some of the Fed hikes uh, but they've really stayed very you know within shooting distance of uh, historical lows and the news today uh, as, as we say people are buying homes they're buying beds they're buying paint they're doing all the things that that you would want if you're in that market you're right about Sherwin Williams being largely recession proof compared to other things which are affected by cycles uh, they did shed a little bit of sales uh, they went from eight million a year in revenue sorry eight billion to seven billion between 2007 2009 that's a pretty mild decline compared to other things that are uh, heavily leveraged to the housing market, now they're up to about twelve billion a year in sales, and, and uh, earnings are, are triple what they were back before the the recession. So they've done a great job uh, as a company. A select Comfort is a very different story. Uh, they've had they're having a great day as a stock, and they've had many great days and many terrible ones. They're more. Of a company or a stock that, um, as, as I say sometimes, visits lots of interesting places, <laughs> rather than a wealth compounder like Sherwin Williams. And if you look at the graph for Sher- Sherwin Williams uh, uh, stock, it's it's the classic up and to the right, reasonably smooth, uh, and and with a nice steep angle to it. And Select so Comfort it- <laughs> is is sort of a Peaks and valleys. I was going to say, Select Comfort is the classic, exciting ride <laughs> at Six Flags. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's done a lot of things over the years, and Select Comfort uh, really came very close to uh, you know going all the way out in in two thousand and nine. They got they were a real penny stock and got down to less than fifty cents a share. Today it's over thirty dollars. So if you had the uh, Courage to hang on through there, uh, or the courage to actually acquire uh, back at the lows. Then you know you've got 60x your money if you timed it perfectly. But you didn't need to come close to timing it perfectly to uh, get a, a good return from from near lows.
2: Yeah, uh, the numbers from Select Comfort are fine and, and represent you know the healthy consumer environment that we're in, the healthy housing environment we're in, but people hate mattress stocks. Investors hate mattress stocks. Select Comfort had a 16% short interest, and its competitor, Temper Sealy, uh, the other major player, had a short interest of 22%, I think, going into this quarter. So, uh, largely speaking, investors were betting against these companies uh, for a variety of reasons. But uh, when you get that situation, and then you get pretty decent numbers, you get these 20% stock pops.
0: Uh, last question on housing, and then we'll move on. In, in terms of Dr. Horton, it, is housing, in terms of the home builders, is, is this one of those situations I mean, we talk about this with the home improvement companies. Home Depot and Lowe's tend to track each other relatively closely. Uh, over the last few years, Home Depot slightly outperforming on a quarterly basis, Lowe's. When it comes to the home builders, same situation. You know, if, if I'm a Toll Brothers sure. shareholder, am I looking at Dr. Horton and thinking, okay, we're going to basically track that?
2: They're largely the same. Uh, the differences are in slight geographic discrepancies. Uh, which part of the market they play in, whether it's sort of the high-end, you know, larger, more expensive homes or starter homes. The one standout there is a company called NVR Homes, which just has a different business model altogether uh, and worth a look for any investor just to study how you can stand stand out from a crowd uh, and be in the same business but do but operate completely differently. But for the most part, yes, all the home builders are the same, uh, largely the same, and so I would expect, you know, Toll Brothers or anyone else. To have results that rhyme with D.H. Dr. Horton.
0: One more name. uh, One more time. Uh, Uh, N.V.R. N.V.R. Okay. Uh, Shares of C.S.X. are hitting a five-year high today after the railroad operator's first-quarter profits came in much higher than expected. Coal? Is that? I mean, (laughs) that's really the story here. They're just C.S.X. is just moving a ton of coal. Is that it?
1: They they are, that's not the only part of the story. Maybe a bigger part of the story is, and coal has been a very cyclical uh, thing, and you've heard it in the news a lot more than its actual import to the economy uh, at large. The number of jobs in the coal industry has um, been relatively stable over the last 10 years, but it's a fraction of what it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, and But coal, as uh, an element of freight, is huge, and so coal. I think I was looking at the shipments for Genesee and Wyoming, which is not in exactly the same geographies as as CSX, but I think coal was up forty percent in terms of not the price of coal, the the, uh, volume of um, carloads for for Genesee and Wyoming year over year for its March numbers, and so CSX has got both the Coal coming back, uh, general, other elements of the business which are less dramatic in their moves year over year. Uh, there are a lot of other things that are moved on the rails, um, and and most of those as a, as a basket, those are up. Some are up, some are down. But you know, coal is adding most of the the good news, and and that is actually coal for um, export, not domestic coal, which is not actually uh, up. So. Uh, the thing that CSX also has is new management and very, very skilled uh, manager who came in in uh, January and has uh, implemented some cost reductions. And that is probably uh, a bigger part of the story of why the stock is up as much as it is today. Is enthusiasm uh, about uh, Hunter Harrison, who's got history with a couple of Canadian railroads, uh, now with CSX and has guided toward a very uh, promising year and a, a confident outlook about the, you know the future for the company and the market is uh, buying it today.
0: I, this name is vaguely familiar to me Did I feel like we talked about Hunter Harrison once before. It, it, am I correct that he has a pretty stellar, management record he's an older gentleman and he he's got a, a pretty impressive track record when it comes to running railroads that, my memory of him uh, joining CSX was like okay this guy's a little older but he is like he's a veteran and his credentials are as close to impeccable as you would want in a business leader
1: yeah he he's been uh, at a number of uh, railroads uh, and and has moved up and started uh, back in in the '60s, um, where he was actually a, a, a carman, um, so he's he's really moved all the way up, um, you know, from the operations uh, through the management, and he's had stints at uh, Illinois Central and at Canadian National, and most recently uh, he was sort of poached um, from, uh, and, and there's a little bit of acrimony about the how he. Left uh, Canadian Pacific, uh, so uh, he resigned in January and uh, signed up with CSX uh, pretty much immediately.
2: Yeah, this is this is uh, like bringing in Phil Jackson to coach. You know, your mediocre basketball team. Um, you're bringing in a ringer to. Um you know, really, you get, like get, nin- the, get the most out of nineteen nineties Phil Jackson, nineteen nineties Phil the Jackson, yeah.
0: present day Phil Jackson, who's yeah. driving the New York Knicks straight into the ground. So,
2: but you're absolutely no, right. No, they were
1: a, they were in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> He's just not driving them out of That's, the ground. Fair point. Fair point. Yeah,
2: that, he, he has a stellar reputation, and uh, you know he. Has a had, a had a lot to work with with CXS CSX, which was a pretty good railroad, but uh, wasn't necessarily a leader on the cost side. So he's got some low hanging fruit to take care of, and uh, if he can get the benefit of uh, de- decent carload growth uh, from coal or or anything else for that matter, it's going to make the results look pretty good. I
1: mean, Th- you've got a duopoly in, on the East Coast and uh, North Norfolk Southern and CSX uh, handling you know most of the freight and. Uh, there's only so much that you're going to do in terms of improving uh, volumes uh, other than what macro conditions do for you. And what he is able to focus on uh, and uh, successfully in the past, and, and people are looking at the first quarter and thinking that these numbers are also good, is, is the operational efficiency. On top of that, today, uh, they raised the dividend and they announced a major share buyback. And so, it's all the kinds of things that you would like to see where they're focusing on their capital allocation and not focusing on, let's go out and maybe try to acquire a few more lines, um, they're going to focus on what they've already got.
0: Three years after getting rid of tobacco sales, CVS Health is cutting back on candy. The company announced plans to redesign some of its locations to eliminate candy at the front counter. So. I guess, no more impulse buys. Interesting to see that shares of CVS Health up a little bit today. This is very different from when they announced they were cutting tobacco sales and the stock dropped, I don't know, 4-5%, or something like that, because at the time, they were doing about $2 billion a year in tobacco sales. And you had people on Wall Street saying, no, we want that $2 billion. So. This, this really seems like it's very much in keeping with their mission
2: Yes I signaling in 2014 the company changed its name to you know from CVS to CVS health uh, Soon after that they made the move to stop selling tobacco soon after that they introduced uh, their own brand of sort of healthy healthy snack foods um, So this is just the next step along along those lines and uh, you know you, you said, Getting rid of impulse purchases—that's definitely not the case. They are uh, what, what they would claim. What CVS would claim is that the nature of those um, those impulse buys. Uh, are changing for for consumers, and so they're going to instead use that candy space up by the register um, for more healthy snacks, meals on the go, uh, vitamins and supplements, uh, expanded uh, beauty lines, and really this this move. The candy is fun to talk about that they're kicking candy out. You know, it's going to get lots of headlines, but it's part of a bigger store redesign for them uh, to stay relevant with how they see uh, their consumers evolving. And so, you have this other moves involved here of, uh, they are, by 2019, going to uh, require third-party testing um, to verify ingredients for supplements and vitamins. They are going to be removing parabens and formaldehyde from uh, CVS-branded skincare products. They're going to start stocking um, more uh, boutique-like beauty supplies, these sorts of things. So, CVS realizes that its customers' habits are changing, and they're trying to get there with them.
1: Yeah, you'll still be able to find candy if you're going into CVS. So, so for the market uh, reaction, um, it will decrease candy sales, presumably, because people won't pick up candy when they weren't intending to. uh, But they'll be picking up, if this is done the right way, they'll be picking up something else. And whether it's uh, the impulse purchase. I don't. I don't know what is there up at the front now, other than People Magazine or or gum, gum. Yeah,
2: there's going to be a lot more beef jerky. <laughs> wait, wait, I'm sorry. Beef <laughs> is that jerky? considered
1: significantly significantly healthier?
2: It is. This is like pure protein.
1: Okay, but it's got other stuff
0: too. Like I don't know. I'm assuming it has massive amounts of sodium.
2: Ah, uh, I don't know that that's true. The, crummy, crummy stuff. The good, well, thing. The, the, the crummy jerky, but not the good stuff.
1: Not but, the gourmet. Yeah. The not quality the gourmet. stuff that Brian gets. So,
2: so you you mentioned getting rid of tobacco had a had a pretty big impact on their sales. Um, I want to reiterate here that CVS is not dumb. Uh, they, their um, customer loyalty program, the Extra Care, I believe it's called, a loyalty program has seventy million members. So they've been collecting data for a long time on what. Their best customers are actually buying, so I think that they're making probably an informed decision here, um, and they have to have run the calculus on what this is going to do um, to balance out, you know, any PR benefit that that comes with it, um, or any just sort of. Purity of their mission, calling themselves CVS Health and making that commitment. But uh, I looked into uh, how annual bonuses were paid, and they're paid based on operating profit and based on customer satisfaction. So if they so, so I have to believe that uh, they feel pretty confident that this is in fact what customers want, and it's going to improve customer satisfaction, and it's going to be at least neutral to, to profits over time. So the incentives are aligned for this to make sense.
0: Absolutely, I didn't think it was dumb of them to cut tobacco sales. I mean, there were again, there were people on Wall Street who were just reacting in the moment, like looking at that two billion dollar sales figure and saying, "Whoa, no, I'm I'm out." Yeah. And those, you know, and anyone who bailed. On CVS, then and stayed out has missed out on yeah. a tremendous gain because that stock has done so well since the day that they decided the, they they announced we're cutting tobacco.
2: So since the uh, since the current CEO Larry Merlot took over in 2011, CVS stock has compounded at something like 18, percent including dividends, um, which is ahead of the market. Uh, importantly, ahead of their clearest competitor, Walgreens Boots Alliance. Um, so uh, smart people. Uh, running, running the show here, um, thoughtful people, and this has been a long time in coming. I think.
1: Can I question one aspect of their operations? Are you, you users of the CBS uh, yes. The stores? Yes, I'm. You... I'm one
0: of the aforementioned uh, loyalty program members that Brian mentioned.
1: So, when you go in and you go in for a, a pack of gum or something, and, and you're at the self checkout, right? Yeah. Uh, at, or or whatever your candy of choice is. What would that be, by the way?
0: Um, you know, when I first saw this story, I, I thought immediately of myself. And I do make impulse buys of candy when I'm at CVS. Not every time, but often. And
1: usually it's peanut MMs. All right. Approximately how long is the receipt that you get? <laughs> How many feet? It's, it's uh, it's a couple feet long. It's a couple feet long
0: for for like maybe the two things. Yeah, it's like I've gone in to and, buy. And do
1: you go ahead and then look at what I presume I've never actually looked? Are a bunch of coupons that are printed on the back of this six foot long receipt?
0: I think we need to get on the next analyst call and ask them about that because as Brian said, they're not stupid. So maybe. Any cost savings they would have in not printing out that receipt. But they if are, they're, are compensated for by the coupons but, that they're but being But if they're so good at
1: knowing my customer experience, they've figured out by now that I never use the coupons that are on the back of this six foot long printed receipt. Well, that's so because you don't care limit, about money. Couldn't they limit? I uh, just, you know, I, I can't read that much. It's if a lot <laughs> of fine print, and it's like, you know, I stopped buying Pampers like 12 years ago, and. and that sort of thing. I don't know what they they think I'm, I'm buying, but um,
0: they're it, not the only ones, though. I mean, that's that's a the thing about the, re, the the lengthy receipt that gets me is when there aren't coupons on the back. And it's like, what what is going on with these lengthy receipts? Is there legalese legalese? We these just to be in we them?
1: just thought you enjoyed them. We
0: just we don't. <laughs> Everybody needs scrap paper here and there. We thought you might have to do some math. And then you need a little scrap paper for math. All right, before we move on, I gotta say thanks to Warby Parker for supporting Market Foolery today. Warby Parker makes high quality, stylish and affordable glasses that start at only ninety-five dollars, including prescription lenses. That's so much less than you're gonna pay otherwise. They make buying glasses online easy and risk-free with their Home Try-On program. It allows you to order five pair of glasses, they're shipped directly to your door, and you can try them on in the comfort of your own home. You can have them shipped to your office and see what your colleagues think. You get feedback from your colleagues, your friends, your family. You keep the frames for five days before sending them back. And that's free, by the way. You use the prepaid return shipping label. No obligation to purchase. That's what's amazing. You get these great designs. They've got sunglasses as well, if you want to go the sunglass route. If you need prescription glasses like I did a few months ago, I'm a Warby Parker customer. I went through the Home Try On program. It's fantastic. And when you place an order for prescription glasses, you'll have them back in your hands within 10 business days. Mine actually came faster than that. Last but not least, for every pair of glasses sold, Warby Parker distributes a pair of glasses to someone in need. So try Warby Parker for yourself and see how good you look in their frames. Go to warbyparker.com fool to order your own free home try-on kit with free shipping all around. Lowercase fool. Lowercase f-o-o-l. That's warbyparker.com fool to order your free home try-ons. As I mentioned at the top, it's April 20th. So, if there's any day we're going to talk.
1: Speaking of impulse purchases. Speaking of
0: impulse purchases, if there's any day we're going to talk about marijuana stocks, uh, April 20th is the day to do it. uh, CNBC had a story out today uh, estimating that the market for marijuana in the United States being somewhere in the neighborhood of $7 billion, with an expectation that that will nearly double in the next three years. And by 2020, 300,000 jobs will be tied to the marijuana market. Um, in the short term, however, uh, Molson Coors, uh, just to name one public company, is feeling a little bit of pain because uh, Cowan & Company, uh, a Wall Street research firm, put out a note downgrading Molson Coors due to the negative ramifications of rising cannabis use on alcohol consumption, which is a you know fancy way of saying, we think if people start buying more pot, uh, they're going to be drinking less beer. And Brian, I don't necessarily know that they're wrong about that.
2: I have no idea <laughs> if that is true. I mean, uh, I, I sort of feel like this uh, this report was put out specifically because today is April 20th. It's sure. Porch, it's why not?
0: If you're Cowan and Company and you're doing this research, you're saving it for April We're 20th. We're talking about them. Yeah.
2: yeah, I mean, I think the problems at uh, at Molson Coors or the large beer makers in general is larger. I mean, it's a secular problem that people, uh, at least in the U.S. and Canada, which account for fifty eight percent of beer volume, uh, they're they're not drinking more beer. So there's just no growth in this industry. So the fact that uh, there could be some correlation between in, increased marijuana usage and uh, uh, and lower beer consumption, uh, that's just throwing, you know, throwing another problem on top of what's ailing the big beer makers.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the big beer makers are hurt by the increased, although somewhat slowing, um, gains of, of the craft beer uh, industry on the the mass brands that uh, Coors and uh, Molson are, are really. Known for and where most of the volume is, they've got a small exposure to the craft beer industry, but uh, it's it's for them uh, a problem uh, that they might be able to mitigate some of their lost sales by participating in that. And beer sales are you know down there; it's not the drink of choice on campus um, the way it was back in the day. Uh, both because of increased um, age limit and enforcement and also just the, the college kids are using, um, aside from marijuana, they're going to spirits more, much more than they did you know, back in our day. I don't know, Brian's day, probably. <laughs> Brian's um, day is very current, whereas our day was before. more current, was, was, <laughs> not
2: very current,
0: was, was decades ago. Um, uh, right before coming in the studio, I was chatting with Chris Harris, one of our lawyers here at The Motley Fool, and he said, what are you going to be talking about on the show today? And I went through the rundown, and he said, have I shared my favorite stat about drinking. And I said, no, but please do. And this was in a continuing education program that, uh,
1: that Chris provides to you about alcohol. No,
0: that, that he has to take as part of his legal profession, and it had to do with alcohol law. Um, in America, underage drinking accounts for 80% of sales by volume. And sales. One more time, <laughs> underage drinking accounts for 80% of sales by volume and seven percent of sales by dollar amount. Yikes! <laughs> so you got so is that like kids? The volume is the beer, right? Right. So underage drinkers in America Kecks. are buying a lot of cheap beer. That's that's what those, that's what the pairing of that stat says.
1: Well, I still have, I have a hard time believing it. Really? Why? Uh, well i would think that bars are large purchasers and that they are better at uh, you know not serving to minors than, right. than t- say we don't have to worry
2: about whether or not this status is true.
1: Well i'm not worried. <laughs> I'm, I'm, just, I'm just trying to process it's it's not going to it's not keep me
2: up
0: at night. Let's let's go back to the marijuana for one second. What about this idea that uh, because we do get this question Pretty frequently here at the Motley Fool, as we see rising uh, trends in marijuana, as more states are legalizing it on a recreational level and on a medical level, and so we get the question from investors: you know, where are the investment opportunities? Because right now there really aren't any. Uh, You look at marijuana stocks, and it's almost like they're pretty much all penny stocks and bad investments, but. You know, three years from now, if if we're talking about a twelve to fifteen billion dollar industry, does that does that make it? I mean, come on, you two guys are in the business of looking for investments for Motley Fool funds. Three years from now, are you more likely to spend time looking at marijuana stocks?
1: No, really, just say no. <laughs> no, it, because the, the the dichotomy here is, regardless of what the states do, it's it's against federal regulations. And we have an administration which desires to enforce the regulations which have been there, but have not been enforced. And you know, it's it's a drug which is uh, not legal under federal law to take recreationally. Now, states aren't using their resources to crack down on that, but you just can't set up a business and expend money and invest capital into something that at any point the government, the federal government, could decide oh, you, you have gotten to a size where we're just going to put you out of business because your business is illegal. Now, for individuals that are going out there, um, that it's I don't know if it's going to be a problem, but it, nobody's going to sink a lot of capital into what is clearly an illegal thing to pursue at the moment.
2: Which is why the publicly traded companies at this point are really penny stocks and, and crummy. Um, but there are a lot of Private investing opportunities um, for for the industry, and I don't expect that to change. But uh, Bill's point is is correct. It's uh, the regulatory environment is a huge out outsized risk for us, in that the businesses could could conceivably go away overnight with the stroke of a pen. So you could go Canadian. Could go Canadian. Speaking of Molson Coors, yeah. So so anyway, let's let's go back to Coors.
1: Canada is about to uh, legalize it, I think. You know, at a federal level. Or, or so, so they say. Uh, so that you know, the enterprises could get their start in Canada, and you could, you know, find investment opportunities there. And I'm not uh, up on what those would be, but I would wait for the law to, you know, change before pursuing. You any know of. what? I
0: think I'm thinking the next time our friend Jim Gillies from Motley Fool Canada is in town, I think we, I think we put that on the agenda to ask
1: him about. You wanted to go back to Molson.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I just, I, I, I wanted to say that. So, so. Molson gets 70% of its sales and 80% of its profits from the U.S. and Canada. And so, I just wanted to know if there is truth to what the analyst was purporting, that because of heightened marijuana usage, there would be less beer usage, uh, particularly Coors, some, for some reason. I don't know if that is true, but what I did find out was that, to my surprise, uh, the U.S. and Canada were number 2 and number four on the top uh, marijuana smoking country lists as a percentage of population. So the U.S. is apparently sixteen point three percent of our population. We're second. Uses we're second. We're number two, but we try harder. And Canada's number four at twelve point seven percent. Who's number one? Amsterdam. You know any guesses? Amsterdam. Funny, Amsterdam is. Amsterdam
1: not 20th. technically a country.
2: Well, yeah. The Netherlands no- <laughs> is twentieth. <20th>. Right. Yeah. Twentieth. <laughs> yeah, only eight percent of the population. So it's basically just a, a tourist shell. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Who's number one? I feel a bit sheepish saying this, but it's Iceland. Iceland. Eighteen percent. Iceland. <laughs> wow.
0: Uh,
2: before we wrap
0: up, uh, is it legal there? Uh, I don't know. Before you we know wrap...
1: soon when you, when you return, I'm just going
0: to say uh, before we wrap up today, Brian. Uh, after we tape today, you and your wife are headed to the airport to go where? Vacation. And where? <laughs> Iceland. Reykjavik. Wow. <laughs> This, this opens up a whole other line of questioning that we're going to deal with after we say goodbye. So, if you want to learn more from Brian Hinman, assuming he makes it back from Iceland, and Bill Barker and the whole Fool Funds team, what am I talking about? Of course he's getting back safe from Iceland. You can go to FoolFunds.com, check out Declarations. It is the free monthly newsletter from Brian, Bill, and the entire Fool Funds team. That's FoolFunds.com. Sign up for Declarations. It's free. And it's great content. So why wouldn't you go there? Brian Hinman, Bill Barker. Thanks for being here, guys. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about on the Motley Fool. May have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.